and then we'll get started with James. Um, so James, welcome. Thank you for coming on. Uh, we'll try to obviously get across to see you. <laughs> in, um, in Easter time didn't quite work out, so next best thing. Uh, so thanks for jo joining us. Uh, last week we started off, kicked off the webinar series on talent ID and development for individual player. So happy to have you on the second episode here. Um, maybe just to start, give a little bit of background on your coaching journey uh, through Bolton into Fleetwoods and maybe a little bit of information, background information regarding the Fleetwood Academy. Oh, your shine's gone. Hold on a second. Uh, I think I gotta find you, James. Make a co-host. Hold on a second. Start with that. Okay, should be good now. Okay, right. that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. So, uh, like a lot of these boys, I, um, I was trying to be a young aspiring professional. Uh, we all good. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, good. Perfect. Yeah. So, so I was trying to get a professional game, but it didn't quite work out. Um, so I started um, at my last sort of playing year at Southport Football Club. We were uh, in the comp, the, the the national league as it is now. I started to do my badges really young, um, so 19, 20 years old. I was on the on the um, coaching uh, qualification ladder, um, and I got an opportunity to do some some work at Bolton Wanderers with with um, satellite centres and and development centres. And yeah, um, worked my way up into to, to an academy coach there, um, got me away for qualification. And then sort of fell into into the international recruitment side of things early uh, at Bolton Wanderers, who started a, an international academy there. So that's that's gone about, it's about 11 years ago, that now. Um, and then again, through lazy luck and hard work, I then ran the programme from around about 2010. Um, and we were we were casting our net far and wide all over the globe, and had a, a wonderful eight or nine years at Bolton Wanderers. And then I was fortunate to be headhunted to take a um, director of football job in Qatar with one of the leading um, soccer clubs over there with Evolution. Um, so I thought a changed environment and um, a different culture, different people um, would benefit me at, uh, at that time in my career. So I took that. Went and did that for two years, which was an unbelievable two years. Um, speaking, you know, and working daily with, like I said, a multitude of cultures and nationalities and beliefs and religions was, was awesome. And then I got a phone call um, on my return to go back to Bolton Wanderers. So I had a phone call from Jimmy Phillips, the academy manager there, to go, to go back and take on the under-15s there at the time. And uh, again, I got straight back into source of that and, and then international work as well. Um, and then well documented the, the, the troubles that Bolton Wanderers have had financially off the pitch. And they went to started to slide into administration and, 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 and it, was a, it was a rough time for all staff members not getting paid, etc. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, to get a phone call off Steve Kerwood, our chief executive at Fleetwood Town. Um, and I met with him and Andy Pilly, the chairman, um, and they wanted to start this new project that they did already sort of were, were bubbling away with um, to start a, an international academy for aspiring athletes around the world to come in and experience what it's like to train daily as a professional at Fleetwood Town. And if they were good enough, um, give them the opportunity to, to see what it's like and how they cope within their representative age group within our academy structure or our the 23 development squad, you know. And it's the, we're, we're looking for the Jamie Vardy story, um, casting our net far and wide. We're, we're not precious if that comes from Fleetwood or that comes from further afield from somewhere like Canada or, or, or one of the other countries that we're working in to find the next best player for, for Fleetwood Town. So that's how my journey's, my journey's progressed through. Our academies, we're, we're the new kids on the block. Our actual academies only been going 
this will be its fifth year, um, coming into its fifth, fifth year as an actual recognised academy. So we're a Category 3 with aspirations to go to a Category 2. Um, we've got a £10 million state-of-the-art facility, which surpasses pretty much everybody in, in League One, besides maybe your, your Sunderlands, who have obviously got Premiership heritage. Um, but our facility is unbelievable. We have 10 state-of-the-art um, full-size grass pitch, two state-of-the-art 4G pitches with uh, the potential of putting in a full-size dome over one of them, uh, fully equipped power gym, cryo chambers. We've got it's a pre- it's a premiership setup in League One. And it's quite a story too, James, regarding what actually happened in the club in terms of uh, promotions the last couple of years, right? Where they came from to where they are now. That's right. You know, I remember I remember my early playing days. Like you like to Southport and Bursco playing against Fleetwood Town in your Evo Stick Division Ones of the world. You know, we've had seven promotions in in twelve years. Incredible. So we've come right from the lower the lower period the bottom of the pyramid all the way up to, to League One with, you know, obviously the, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic has, has, has halted football, but we were on a really good run of run of form. We were unbeaten in 15 games, two points off automatic promotion, and we were, this, we were the momentum side in, in League One. Um, so for little old Fleetwood Town, it's the smallest of the 92 professional football clubs um, in the league in terms of its demographic. So it's a it's a real Cinderella fairy tale story from from what where we've gone and you know praise has to go to the chairman Andy Pilly who's you know who's backed it all the way from day dots to get to where we are now. Maybe a chat about about uh, Jimmy's Vardy's uh, role at Fleetwood and where he came from and then how he went on obviously bigger and better things at uh, at um, Leicester. I know again you know, from a Cinderella sort sort of story from a football club is a Cinderella story from a footballer. Um, you know he, he was knocking around the non-league scene. Um, and Fleetwood Town took a, I wouldn't say a gamble on him because he was a very good player around that scene, but we, we managed to, to get hold of, of Jamie Vardy um, and he proved an, proved an instant hit straight away. He was banging in goals left, right and centre. Got us promoted into to your league, your league two in and then obviously the big boys come knocking Leicester City pay a million pounds for him at the time plus a lot of add-ons which we're, we're still reaping a lot of those add-ons now so it was a good bit of business at the time. Um, but yeah, now he's you know still top, he's top goal scorer this season in the Premier yeah, League. Incredible, you know? right? There's actually some calls from uh, England to bring him back, weren't there, for the uh, for the Euros? Of course. Had. So, yeah, so we've he's he's our he's our biggest starlet that we've we've had the most recognised name. But sort of Fleetwood give him the the platform in the his first sort of professional in League Two to to really spring his name and get his name out there. Yeah. Let me talk a bit about uh, your relationship with uh, the private school you have, uh, Russell, and also some of the educational opportunities for the boys internationally as well, James. Yes, we're very lucky to have um, Russell School on our doorstep. It's literally around the corner from our, our training headquarters at Coolfoot Farm. Um, Russell is uh, in the top five independent schools within the, within the country. Um, so we have an international program there. Where we have 16 players, sorry, beg your pardon, 18 players on there at present from all, all over the globe. Um, they train full time with us, like our international program. The only difference is they get to live, sleep, and board at the school. And they have an option then of um, doing an international baccalaureate, GCSEs, A levels, English supplements if English is not the first language, um, and be immersed into, into not only the Fleetwood Town culture. But the Russell culture as well. Um, so we've got we've we've got a real talented squad this year. We had a young American called Sean Stackhouse over 
um, and he was training full time with our under sixteen academy on top of the program. Um, he's obviously with the pandemic and and, and and whatnot. He's back in the in the states at the moment, um, and we've got a young young really young talented player called Yakub. He's from the Emirates, so from Dubai, and again he's he's he came to us at fourteen years old. So he spent all last all this season. Keep on calling it last season. It feels like last season. <laughs> this season with our under fifteens and sixteens. Um, training with them on top of the program as well. Um, you know that's not a guarantee for everybody. Um, first of all, obviously they they have to have the ability to and and the attitudes, the the priority to and the, the mindset to to cope with that environment. But the, the that's the pathway for those players who are excelling on the on the program. You spoke actually last weekend um, with Mark Campbell about the importance of education as well in terms of young players because of the stats regarding uh, number of players making it through play professional level so very important that the kids uh stay up to date with their education mm. hugely as well and what that shows to us as well as, as, as coaching staff is a dedication you know um you know off, if you, you you rewind 30 40 years ago in any sport it was sort of stereotype of the jock you know where yeah. that's totally flipped on its head now you know uh, i was watching sky sports before you know someone like harry winks who plays for the top and pop spurs you know all his GCSEs, all his A-levels under his belt. You know, if he wasn't a footballer, he could be going to university and getting a, a great degree under his belt and whatnot. And that's what we try and pride ourselves and uh, instill into our players as well, is that your education is paramount. It's that slim percentage that, that, that get through to, to play the professional game. Um, so, you know, education is, is paramount. And, if, you know, for those who want to stay within the game, if they don't quite make the, the, the dream of playing professional ball, you know, you need a degree. You need an education behind you now if you want to become a, a sports scientist or a physiotherapist or even a coach. You know, we, you, need to be, you need to be well educated. So it's paramount. Yeah, thanks, Shane. Maybe walk us through a little bit regarding the, um, the academy experience from a kid when we come into Fleetwood at age nine. What kind of hours are you putting in during the week and so forth? Yeah, so they signed with us at, at age nine, so under, or age eight, under, under nine football. Right. Um, and they will train um, three days uh, a week and they'll play their games program on a Sunday. Um, so I'm trying to think the foundation phase is generally, and I think the Monday, Wednesday, um, and they train Saturday morning in prep for the game, and our, our, the game program is on 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 Sunday. And the training sessions generally last at the foundation age ninety minutes to two hours. Um, if it's a two-hour session, a thirty-minute session will be dedicated in the in the gym prior to going out onto out onto the pitch. So right. um, you know it's nothing too heavy, but it's it's in, introducing them into the world of the the gym. The importance of you know stretching. The importance of um, power and, and, and core stability. You know, obviously these kids aren't lifting weights, but they're getting used to their own body weight and, and, and how to prepare. And again, it's not just the it's not just the physicality of the, the gym. It's the, like I said, the mental preparation of it. You know, if you you're from under under nine all the way through the first team, you know, drip feeding the what's expected and the standards that are expected all the way through. So it's the mental preparation as well. And uh, when you get to under twelve and you're hitting the the youth phase, and the boys are in three nights in the week, Saturday morning, and the games program again is on the is on the Sunday. And they're generally all two-hour sessions, so they'll either be twice a week. They'll be in the gym, and that'll be build, you know, twelves, thirteens, fourteens. Not again, not so much weight training. But when you get into fourteen, fifteen, it's introducing the right techniques. Um, a lot, a lot of plyo work, a lot of SAQ work, a lot of core stability work. 
um, injury prevention work, and obviously your core's key to that. Um, and then they'll have um, an ILP night, so individual learning program night, where they'll all have specific program to to go out and execute either well both in the gym and both out on the football pitch. Um, and then again, Saturday's gear into the game, so it'd be te- technical, tactical preparation for the, for the game on the Sunday. Um, and again, the older they get, um, obviously analytics come into it then. Regarding data, regarding data and so forth, regarding performance data? Yeah, so all our boys are tested through under nine all the way through to, to first team. Obviously, the physical testing changes slightly when you get to under 13, 14 with your endurance stuff coming into it. We, we really don't concentrate an awful lot of you know running your yo-yo tests with the, with the little kids, um, but still taking, obviously, measurements of explosive power, sprint work, the agility work is really important. Um, and then when you get into sort of under 16, under 18, you're all um, catapult uh, up, so you know you, you're getting all the data from the training, all the data from the from the games. Right. In terms of uh, away from the field, were these guys doing any extra work themselves at home? You think? Yeah, a lot of the boys. Well, we have the PMA system, so it's you know everything's monitored. So they have to go on and and self reflection is a huge thing. So they have to go on and um, so after every training session, the coach will obviously put feedback after every game the coach will put feedback and it's the player's responsibility to obviously add to that feedback and give their their thoughts and then that will be clipped by a huddle onto certain clips during the game um to them for them to reflect and then they like i said they have their own ilps for that that's uh their duty obviously whilst at the training ground yeah but away from the training ground as well to to, to home in on their ILP. and the pma is a, a software system that all the academies use correct um throughout that- the leagues that uh, the coaches will ma- manage the overall plan of the player, correct? Correctly, yeah. So all 92 pro- uh, professional clubs use the, the PMA. So it's part of the EPPP, um, partly down to auditing. So making sure that all clubs are consistently doing what they should be doing. Um, uh, and also, obviously, to, to, to monitor and track the development of the player and give the player a, a voice as well. That's good. Yeah, perfect. I would say actually the last couple of months obviously we've been in lockdown, James. I know that our players have actually taken up more ownership themselves. I've been very delighted that they've done that. Um, we've given them a structure regarding the home stuff, but the boys are off doing their own uh, video clips right now, posting them uh, and following the training path. So I've seen, from my point of view, a greater ownership they're, they're taking for development, which how important is that for an elite player? Well, so, so important. Um, probably the most important because what you can tend to see at academy football is because it's so, because of the, the EPPP and whatnot, um, it can be very rigid, and, and we don't want. We certainly at Fleetwood Town, we don't want rigid players. We need players who can solve problems. Um, the best players are not necessarily the the, 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 the most technical or the, the the better athlete. The best players who find solutions to problems, um, regardless of size and, and, and body mass. So we we need we need um, obviously clever thinking players who can can analyze problems. So um, going away and working on that themselves and and, and finding out a solution. Is, is important rather than the coach drip feeding in the answers all the time because what you'll tend to find is a is a is a robot who can can only play that one way that the coach wants to play. Right. You need a little bit of that because we structure at times, but the game the game needs players who can play off the cuff at times and and and, and be inventive and be creative. Yeah, definitely. And then in terms of the four corners, Jane, what were some of the attributes that Fleetwood would look for a player if you're trying to look and scout a player, for example, regarding the four corners? So physically, you know. We're looking at explosive and and and, and strong. Um, again, nothing comes into your height. One gone of those days for us is is he six? Is he going to be six foot two? What? How how big is his mum and dad? Yeah. Uh, 
but certainly that that first five five yard explosive power. Obviously, through transitions, we want we want real quick changes because um, the game's becoming quicker and faster. We're not necessarily saying that you, everybody has to be lightning quick over 30, 40 metres. Um, but certainly over that first five, we need to be switched on straight away. And then strong. And then again, that doesn't come down to size. That comes down to your core stability, how you, how you use your box, how you, how you use your body. Um, to, ball protection is key for us. So how you use that. You know, technically and tactically, we need bright players, astute players. So awareness is one of our big, you know, the players, players within practices, constantly scanning, body shape open, um, looking to solve solutions. Again, I'm not saying they have to be the most technically gifted, but if they can make the correct decisions and be effective within games and effective within training, well, that's what we want because we need you to be effective during the, the 60, the 80, 90 minute game that you that you're playing. The big thing we look at is obviously touch direction huge for us. Taking the ball on the move is really important because of the the speed of the game now. It is long gone of the day of get it under control and then make a decision. We've got to be making a decision on 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 the move. And uh, probably our biggest thing, the technical and tactical side, is that we want we want to get forward as quickly quickly as possible. Yes, we we love to, everybody loves to play this tiki taka football, <laughs> um, but it and and we can still do that. But we want to get forward into that final third as quickly as possible. So forward-thinking players, and that's on and off the ball. Forward runs, forward movement, um, whether it's a pass, whether it's a dribble, you know, the solution's up to the player, but forward-thinking players. Psychologically, is really important, you know. So we we, we breed, so we, we like to think we breed real competitive players. So we need we need players with a desire to win. Obviously, you'll hear it all the time, winning's not important at, at the young ages, and, and, and I totally agree with that. But having an interpretation and having um, a mindset to win is so so important. Um, and how to win and learning how to lose is so important. So that winning mentality and that competitiveness we we, we look for is sort of one of the biggest things. And like you said, with your, with your players doing going away and doing the homework and doing the work that you're setting is is we need you know in that sort of psychological players we need we need reflective and empathetic players because we'll all make mistakes, right? Yeah. We'll make coaches make mistakes. We'll all, players will make mistakes, and the the best players they reflect on them and they quickly get over them, and you know, and they, and they, and they'll do that with teammates. So that's so important. And going from that onto a social corner is that yeah, being confident and being a real good teammate, um, and being expressive within within you within the group of players. So you know, there there are a couple of things that we really look for when we're you know talent ID. It's important to boys to get used to talking to adults and be able to interact with their coaches as well, right? I mean, in terms of the social part of things, um, I talked to Mark Campbell last week about doing some, they're doing some social led, sorry, player led sessions during their, the academy at Wolves where the players actually go in themselves from age 12 and deliver the program. So getting used to talking to your peers, getting used to how, you know, communicating at a high level, right? Oh, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. I love stuff like that. Um, a lot of our foundation coaches are breeding that into the, to the boys from an early early um start even from under nine so they'll they'll get them to lead the the, the warm-ups with them without the ball and whatnot and get and making sure it's not the same player who's always doing it yeah. and take players out of comfort zones yes it's, it's marvelous stuff like that the way coach is going today it's more we're, we're facilitating versus uh, you know directing right now in terms of letting the players have their freedom to kind of go forward and be creative correct 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 i think it's got to be a balance still um but yeah, you know, the player has to have the voice. Ultimately, the the ninety minutes they're out there making making those coaches, and we can give them the tools and a platform and a structure maybe to do that with him. But ultimately, we can't play the game for them. Yeah. So yeah, 
And you've been coming to Canada and North America for the last uh, probably 10 years, James. Um, what are some of the trends you've seen? Uh, you've seen North American players more competitive in terms of uh, competing with the players from overseas or what, what, are, what are you seeing? It's, it's totally changed from when I first went over in 2008. Um, totally changed. A um, couple of reasons why I think it's changed. Um, coaching has, has become a lot, lot better. You know, it's one of the biggest grass, uh, participated grassroots sports in North America. Um, so there's plenty of there's plenty of players out there, and there's plenty of really, really talented players out there. Um, but they never had, in my opinion, they never had a, uh, a structure, and, uh, good qualified coaches who uh, who had a plan what to do with these superbly talented players. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when I went over there, it was all scrimmages everywhere, yeah. uh, and saturated by games. So the game to the game to practice ratio was 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 slightly um, out Steve, of sync. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that you know, with the structure of the leagues, better coaching. Um, is producing far more better players, um, far cleverer players, and more tactically astute as well as, as technically. I have to say, well, last time I visited, especially myself, the, the technical capability of the boys is shot through the roof. You can tell they're doing a lot of individual work. Um, yeah, so that was that was that's been a big trend. Um, and then when we see them come over to our programs, great attitude. You can tell they've been coached well. Um, it's just that adapting of the the pace of the game um you know it's a lot quicker decisions have to be a lot quicker um but that, that's probably the that's probably the only subtleties that we struggle with um you know technic technically and tactically astute athletic as well yeah and also that's one of the benefits of your program we've actually had players go over to europe the last 10 years for maybe for a week at a time but your program actually allows them to go over for a longer period of time we had uh, for example david bain over for a couple of a couple of months um last fall correct so it gives those kind of players a little more time to adapt, I guess, to the culture and get used to the speed of play. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's very difficult to go into an environment for a week or two um, and expect to excel straight away. You know, you, you've got to get used to, to a lot of peripherals, not just on the football pitch. You know, you might be rooming with somebody from a different country with a different culture. You're getting used to the, the different time zone, getting used to different weather conditions. You're getting used to doing double sessions every day. and then analytics and then go and see sports scientists and go and speak to mental health coaches and um you know you've got all that wow all of a sudden it's it's a total, it's a new world so to have a week or two weeks of it, it you know it could take you a week or two to get going mm -hmm. so our programs we tend to like to have players for a minimum of, of four weeks um with a maximum of 24 weeks um you know it's a, it's a about developing as well, you know. Some of these players are coming in with all with all the tools, but like I said before, they've never had the hustle and bustle and the pace and the pressure. Mm -hmm. you know, let's not forget the pressure on them. You know, all of a sudden you're putting a Fleetwood Town jersey on, and you've got the head of recruitment watching, the gaffers on the next pitch down, you've got assistant manager popping his head over to see what's going on in the, in, in the game. You know, it's a lot of pressure on, a, on on the players as well. You know, not put on by by us, but you know, as, as a player would be, it's an external pressure. And you also have several partners through the world. So I know David's example, he wasn't uh, kind of guaranteed game time to kind of progress to the next level with you guys, but you guys had a, a method to kind of pass them on to one of your partners, correct? That's it. Um, firstly, in, in England as well, you know, we've, we've got a lot of boys who, um, who you know, who need that challenge in adult football as well, you know, not just sort of under 18, 23 football as well. So, you know, we had a lot of boys going to, to, to non-league football. Um, not 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 that saying that's that's where they're going to end up because we want them to excel higher, but it's a real good bridge for them to to, to sample men's football at a very good standard. And then we've got a, got a number of partner clubs within um, Portugal. 
got a, partner, a couple of partner clubs in Finland and in Hungary. So on the continent, we're building up partners where we where we can see these players and, and place these players. So we've got a young we've got a young boy who we train with our under twenty threes on a regular basis called Dylan Mass. He's now signed for Centrenza uh, in Portugal. Um, obviously, the, with the pandemic, he's back. He's back in his his, his home country, of Belgium, at the moment. Um, but he's he's been given that opportunity. He was on the he was on the cusp of of, of our twenty threes. But again, like you said, you, you know, what, what what players have to appreciate is that you you have to be better than what we have. It's not right. it's not it's not it's very competitive. Not guy, if you're good enough, you're as good as what we have. That's not good enough. You need to be better if we want to we want to sign you. Um, and that's brutal. But, but that's the that that's the reality. Um, and he's a very, very talented centre half. So good decision for him. He had an offer for, for Sweden as well to go to Sweden on a on a pro contract as well. He decided to go to Centrenda, which is a Division Three Portuguese club. Good setup. Um, and yeah, they think they've got high hopes for him. Especially when football gets gets going it's again. Again, <laughs> it's good yeah. stuff. Obviously, one of the challenges that the North American player has are the FIFA regulations in terms of age of signing that kind of stuff, right? Maybe just talk a little bit about that regarding the um, regulation, regulations around that. And in some ways, the players can kind of lock into a European model versus staying over here. Yeah. So, well, first and foremost, I think for any player who's got aspirations, um, they need to be challenged, right? So taking themselves out of the zone is so important if they've got aspirations to play at the highest level. Um, so whether that's with us or whether that's somewhere else on the continent, I'm a big advocate of, of playing in a different country and a different environment just for self-development anyway in terms of us if we wanted to sign somebody that we, we, we thought was was right, a right fit for us um from overseas they'd have to be um 18 or free fifa regulations and anyway unless they held a european passport so we signed a young boy on a scholar who was an american boy but he was lucky enough to have a, a, a an english passport a dual citizenship so we managed to sign him at a, the a first year scholar which would be 16 years old 16, yeah. uh, um, but if you don't if you don't hold that that European passport, then it's um, then it's eighteen. Um, um, but yeah, again with partner clubs uh, that we have around the world, you know other other countries within Europe uh, have different regulations. So you know likes of your Portugal's, your likes of your Hungary's and, and, and Sweden's of the world. Um, some of them are more uh, more adaptable for taking players from from North America or maybe Nigeria. On, on pros because of visa situations slightly different to, to that in the UK. And if those kind of go across earlier if they combine education, correct? They could go across uh, educational wise and spend a couple of months there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 You know, but we're we're, we're still waiting. Obviously, the pandemic's hit. We're, we're we're still waiting on on Brexit as well. That sort of been put to been put to one side. Yeah. So that that could work in in, in the favour as well. We just have to just have to wait and see. Perfect. Any your advice, James? Overall advice you give for the players before I open up for questions? Um, well, if you, if you ask any professional, dedication and commitment are the first, the first, first ones. You know, you've you've got to be obsessed. Everybody's, everybody's. My aspiration was to become a professional footballer, um, and it's a saturated marketplace to become a professional footballer because it's, it's such a wonderful sport, it's a beautiful sport, and everybody wants to be the Messi or the or the Ronaldo and and, and play. Um, but if you see the key traits of all the professionals, and they'll tell you straight away, it's an obsession. You've got to wake up and you've got to sacrifice. When your friends are, are going to parties or your friends are staying up late to watch a movie or whatnot, you need to be, you know, unfortunately in bed and, and, and resting up, ready to, ready to, to go again then the, the next day. Um, and then, like I said, um, take yourself out of comfort zones as much as you can. 
never be satisfied at being the big fish. You know, there's a, there's always a bigger pond. So challenge yourself, yourself, challenge them, motivated. Don't don't settle. I've actually been watching uh, The Last Dance the last couple of weeks because there's no football on. So watching Michael yeah. Jordan action is, is quite a learning experience. I recommend anyone out there who hasn't watched it to watch it and see how dedicated he was and how driven he was for, for success. And part of his, his thing was obviously to go from uh, the top player on a team, Chicago, to a, a championship winner. And he had to actually pull people with him, didn't he? He had to pull his teammates and say, this is a standard. We're getting this job done. And it's, it's that ruthless, isn't it? Yeah, it's that ruthless. Um, and listen, you there's a there's there's a there's tons of professional football clubs out there to to try and try your hand that but nothing changes. <laughs> <laughs> nothing changes. You you still got to be utterly, utterly obsessed to be to to become it because it's such a it's such a hard industry to, to get into and sustain. Sustainability is the big one. I see so many players play for a season and then disappear. It's it's having that will to go again. All right, I've done well this year but I'm gonna be better next. Like I said, you know, if you listen to Podcast with Jay, uh, Stephen Gerrard and that obsessed. Yeah, 